you have to either go all in on the bit or you have to drop the bit. Hey, jingity jing. It's Dominic the donkey. Jingity jing. The Italian Christmas donkey. La, la, la. La, 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 la. La, la, la. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever. Assuming you've never listened to a movie podcast before, I am your host, Adam Portress. It has been a hot minute, but uh, I've been busy with stuff, but I'm back. And you know what? I brought a friend with me from Hero Movie Podcast. I've never heard of that program. Mr. Bruce Leslie. Hello, everybody. I figured you might like uh, any sort of Christmas song that has to involve oh, a donkey. Yeah, especially Dominic the Donkey. Oh, man. You know what's hilarious is that uh, we're able to put this on the jukebox at work. <laughs> oh, boy. If anybody's just messing around, you're like, you know what? We're putting on this stupid thing. It's uh, it's uh, It could could be worse. <laughs> it could be any, a lot of this other music. Cause we could end be up, Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. Uh, another classic. Classic. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing I've noticed is there's a lot more Dominic the Donkey played in the Charlotte area than up here in Huntington. Which you think would be the other way around. You really would. Yeah, I think maybe more Italian folks down there. Isn't he an Italian donkey? He's an Italian Christmas donkey, indeed. Yeah. I, so you know, might be it. I, just, I want to be the record executive who's just like, you know what? That's what we're going with. <laughs> no, no, no. I like Milton. the old days when, when songs used to have sequels, too. Like Dominic Returns or Dominic Rides Again was probably a sequel to the song that came out the next year. There's a because there's a sequel to this song? I'm just saying, you know, there was a time when songs, if they were a hit, they had a sequel. Like uh, uh, The Twist had a sequel, Let's Twist Let's Again, twist and again, there was yeah. the Peppermint Twist. Yeah, so... You know, I miss the good old simpler times when, when you could really ride a horse until it dropped dead. I'm trying to figure out, let's see. Not that I... Or, or here's Peppino, the Italian mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I, like that. I swear to God, I am not doing anything to this. This is what it sounds like. See, I think I had a problem growing up. Like my grandparents are uh, are like of German descent. Uh, yeah, that's you know you can't have any fun with that. This is you know if I had some Italian members of the family, well, I think I would have had a more colorful, in many ways, <laughs> Christmas experience for sure. Yeah, we we definitely just had the. Uh traditional Appalachian Christmas, which is, you know, you get up and you work all day and then you go home and you say, oh yeah, it was Christmas today. Yeah, how about that? Well, mm, Frere Jacques and whatever, who gives a crap? Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we are here uh, celebrating not only the holiday season, but uh, to celebrate movies. That's right. Uh, we got a regular what you've been watching kind of thing. I've got a boatload of things I want to talk about for that, but we've got... Uh, I, while I've been out to the movies a bit, guess what? Our old friend Bruce has too, so uh, we had a couple other things that we're going to be talking about today as well in our major reviews. We're going to be talking about Wreck-It Ralph. Of course, when there's a Sylvester Stallone movie, you know we have to see it. Uh, oh, so yeah. we'll all be t also be talking about Creed 2. And a movie that I don't think anyone's going to see, 
because the box office tells me so, <laughs> is, oh, uh, no. is Robin Hood, uh, the new one with Taron Edgerton and Jamie Foxx. We'll talk about whether or not uh, that no one going to see it uh, is, uh, is, a, is a good idea. <laughs> but we'll, uh, yeah, yeah. But let's start off with this. I don't know. Do you, I, I, I always spring it on people at the last second. Do you have any what you've been watching? Anything that's kind of yeah. been sticking out to you? I, I just finished a couple things, man, that uh, uh, I've gone through long stretches where I don't have time to do anything unless it relates to one of the projects I've got working on or whatever. But here lately, I've had time just to do what I want to do. So I watched, uh, I think there's two seasons on Netflix of The Good Place. I've heard a lot of good th- good things, no pun intended, about that hard, program. Hard to believe it's from network TV because it's actually entertaining and it, it has like a narrative. It's, <laughs> it's one that's really good for binge watching. It seems like it should be a Netflix series instead of an NBC series because it might be a little tough watching it once a week, but I would watch four or five episodes at a, at a batch with uh, uh, Veronica Mars. What's her name? Uh, Kristen Bell. Correct. And uh, of course, Ted Danson. Everybody knows him as uh, you know. He used to date Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, that's probably what he's best, <laughs> best known, known for. But best known for formerly dating Whoopi. It's really clever. It's really fun. It throws some curveballs at you that you're not expecting. It goes off the rails and just keeps going. I, I've enjoyed that, man. I would uh, recommend that to folks. Nice. And I also watched the second season of The Deuce. Have you seen that at all? On I HBO, feel, I feel like I may have watched like the pilot, but that was about it. I just maybe it just didn't strike me as much. I don't know. It, it really feels. I think it's probably set in the seventies. I don't know exactly when it's set. It looks like it's the seventies, but you know how like nineteen eighty one could be nineteen seventy seven. You yeah. would know the difference. But um, it's kind of about the burgeoning uh, flesh trade in New York. You know when some decency laws were sort of overturned. I think uh, the famous. Uh, line that they like to show in trailers for the show is that um, the the new interpretation by the Supreme Court is what's decent or indecent is dictated by community standards. Right. And then they ask, so what are our, so what does that mean? And he says, well, apparently our community doesn't have any standards, so we can make these skin flicks. <laughs> but it's pretty cool. Uh, James Franco plays twin brothers in it. Uh, it's shot beautifully. You know, a lot of HBO stuff is shot beautifully. Oh yeah. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal is a major character in it. A couple of other actors I don't necessarily recognize, but it really feels like I'm going back to actual uh, some of the '70s cinema. You know, the golden age of cinema that's so popular with so many folks that like movies. It kind of has that uh, midnight cowboy feel to it a little bit, maybe a little bit of a taxi driver feel at times, even hmm. though it's totally different subject matter. But it's it's just got that general feel and the way it looks, and you're dealing with the grimy stuff and the terrible hairdos and the extra thick mustaches and 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 it's interesting to see James Franco playing twin brothers too. Now, okay, all right, you got two sides of the fence that you can fall on. You got that th- over thick, big, bushy mustache and everything, or on the opposite side of the spectrum, you're John Waters. Where oh, the pencil thin mustache? Yeah. Yeah. Where where are you headed? Oh, I'm I'm definitely going to be way more towards the uh, Wilford Brimley walrus mustache than I'm going to be for the pencil thin. <laughs> I, I knew you would be. <laughs> and now the sad thing is, at various parts of my life, I've sported both versions of the mustache. I've got some great <laughs> pictures from, like, when I was maybe 17, 18 years old when I was trying really, really hard to grow a mustache, and it definitely is the uh, John Waters thing going on. Yeah, I look back at some of my dad's, like, high school stuff, and it was just like, God love you. You were really trying for the mustache, weren't you? Just you couldn't really make it happen. Not 
not for any, <laughs> you know, real that, stretch. At least nowadays, I mean, maybe it was different back when we had uh, uh, icons like Magnum P.I. to look up to. Yeah. Uh, or even like classic Burt Reynolds, he sported just the stash. But now it's a weird decision to make to go just for the mustache. Like, you, you should at least go for the goatee, right? It's tough, though. Like, part of me respects the people that just go mustache, especially, like, people that are, like, under 40. The ones that will just go, you know what? I'm going to lean in and I'm going to do this mustache. And uh, some of sometimes it works for people, you know? <laughs> now, I will say I, this. I, I will guess. say this. Um it's not as easy for white guys. Black guys can really do just a mustache and it look just glorious. They can they they get way more mustache leniency than white guys do. Hey, even uh, even Jordan with his very would have been controversial if if it had been anybody but Michael Jordan supporting the Hitler stash. Yeah, exactly. You you, you put Larry Bird in that in that spot as opposed to Jordan, and you're uh, you're you're knocking <laughs> you're down trouble's door, buddy. Territory there. Watch out. <laughs> but but yeah, I think just making the decision to just go straight all in on the stash only is a is an unusual decision these days. I really, first off, you see a guy that just has the stash and it's a bushy stash. I'm not talking about like the the perv stash, uh, the the little waters kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you see a guy that doesn't have any facial hair other than the big full mustache and you know right off the bat that guy smokes cigarettes right like there's no question about it (laughs) yeah you at least if or if you don't like i think the the least other facial hair that you can get away with is like mustache and soul patch soul patch can kind of sort of if it's like oh boy that that that's that's whoo that's doubling down on bad decisions if you go with just the stash and the soul patch well i don't know I don't. I don't know. I've, I've never I just, been a fan of the soul patch. In fact, I've always felt self-conscious the fact that that hair grows on that little part of your lip where the soul patch is. Like I feel like it would be a better place if if you maybe didn't have any hair there at all. I got a weird one because like this is a genetic thing. Like, but like right underneath the soul patch area there, like that little bit, just at the point into the uh, of of my uh, chin there, can't grow a damn thing. Nothing. Dad's the exact now, same way. It's like it's like right there's a little kind of bald spot there that you can just touch it, and this is like no no facial hair comes out of that area whatsoever. One time for a costume party, I got the most um, avant garde with my facial hair I've ever gotten, and I went with the Van Dyke. Ooh, yeah. So it's sort of like the elongated soul patch under the mustache. So, but uh, did, that got wait. quickly shaved off the next morning before I went out in public. That was just for the costume party. Like, look, this only works well with us with a, a cloak. <laughs> <laughs> it's something like that. If he's wearing something a cloak, like it's just like you know what? I'll I'll allow it. But <laughs> but if it's not, it's just called. Hey, he's kind of creepy. <laughs> and if you're full of self confidence, then you go straight for the Salvador Dali. Oh man, that guy. I I don't know. <laughs> Give it a shot, people. See what happens. Just look. All I'm saying is experiment with what you've got and just scare people, especially old people, because no one likes to see that. Uh, Anything else for you? I think that covers it. I'm sure I've watched another thing here or there, but those are the two biggest ones. And I found out Jeopardy is on uh, Netflix now. Talk about the perfect thing to have on in the background. Yeah, just go ahead and uh, memorize the answers and then put them back on with your family and let them think that daddy's the the smartest cat out there. Look, oh my gosh, we knew he was smart, but we didn't know he was that smart. And you're like, yeah, that's right. I'm a genius. You're just pounding everyone. Beep, got it. Beep, got it. Perfect. Uh, I heard a a story from someone uh, one time about how 
apparently their local affiliate would show Jeopardy at four o'clock and then again at seven o'clock. So he would come home from school, watch it at four o'clock. Then when his parents got home from work, he'd watch it at seven with them. And they thought that their kid, they're like, why are you getting C's in school? You know, the answers to all this stuff. <laughs> because I want to screw you over my, <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> Speaking of genius, the uh, folks over at Mystery Science Theater 3000 have launched another bit of genius our way out on Netflix. Uh, their next season, uh, entitled The Gauntlet, has uh, premiered on Thanksgiving. And I've only really got to sit through one entire one right now, and it's one that I was really looking forward to when it was announced. And that, of course, is the fantastic E.T. ripoff, Mac and Me. Oh, they got Mac and Me for Rift Tracks, or not Rift Tracks, for MST3K? They did. It's wow, that's amazing. a big gift for them. It's yeah, it really is. It's like they've got that one. They've got a uh, there's Atlantic Rim, huh? Mm? Oh yeah, just bad. <laughs> and there's a couple others uh, that I haven't gotten to yet. But uh, yeah, Mac and Me is as spectacular as you could imagine. That movie, yeah, I remember, <laughs> of course, because I, I I absolutely love E.T. But you know, E.T. also came out the year I was born, so I did not get to see that in the theater. And of course, we got we got rip off E.T., which was Mac and Me. And of course, there was oh. also the other you know like E.T. ripoffs and things like that. E.T. and uh, what's the other ones? Because you got like uh, like Critters is another one that's kind of like Cr that. Critters was more of a Gremlins ripoff. That's more yeah, that's more of a Gremlins rip. Yeah, so there was that that was a Gremlins ripoff. Would see one that came very recently that was very much an ET ripoff was Earth to Echo. Did you ever see that one? That might have been back when you were watching hmm. everything. I've the name certainly sounds familiar. I don't remember if I've actually seen that one. Yeah, I, it was very much an ET ripoff that came out like maybe five years ago, maybe less. Hmm. But yeah, Mac Mac and me is as as stupid and like. There's a lot of things that I did not remember having seen that from, you know, not since, you know, 25 years or whatever. Now, uh, are you familiar with, like, Scott Rudd when he would go on Conan's show? The, or the Paul Conan Rudd. Show? You can you can keep putting character names. Uh, who did names I say? Who did I say? Scott Rudd. So you took Scott, yeah, Scott Lang. Scott Lang and Paul Rudd get mixed up in my world. <laughs> they war. had a baby, so, yeah, and they're the same guy. <laughs> like, uh, multiple, multiple appearances stretched over years. Every over time he 15 would... years of him doing it. Yeah, he would go on to Conan and want to show uh, uh, footage of his most recent film, and then he would show Mac and me. Specifically the clip where the kid rolls <laughs> the off of the wheelchair the into the big giant ravine. Yeah. It's so great and so bad. Yeah, at the same time, it's like, it's definitely one of those that, okay, this has been overdone, and then you keep doing it long enough that it comes back around. Yeah, the old, <laughs> so it's it's funny, it's not funny, and then it's funny again. But and and then of course it's always like no no look I promise you I promise you I'll play the right one this time and of course that <laughs> one is the exact same one plays and it's I, just I love the whole fiction that they've developed that the guest is actually in charge of push and play on the clip you know <laughs> exactly it's just like no they could just tell you no the guy at the booth could just go no we did we don't have that that's that's this is all just a ruse and you know somebody's got like a an an ant an aunt judy or something somewhere who honestly believes that paul rudd is tricking conan every time he does that i tell you what that conan is just like lucy every time just you know falls for it I, I know my cousin used to argue with me when we were kids that voice actors in cartoons could ad lib 
<laughs> well, and I was like, I don't think so. I mean, they kind of have to anim like they have to talk to sync up with the animation. He's like, no, no, no. They they can ad lib. They can go off. They can. They, I've seen bloopers from Transformers. I'm like, no, you haven't. Oh, I love those. First of all, I I always respect a company that's like, hey man, we're going to uh make outtakes for this animated movie, and I'm like, yeah, that's it. It's more work, and it's they're usually, especially with Pixar, they're done really well. There'll be like weird stuff that just like the camera going slightly out of focus for something, or there's like a like a boom mic. It's just things that make zero sense for it to be in an animated thing, but it you buy into the world that they're creating so much that you just go with it and you absolutely one hundred percent accept it. It's so oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the have have you seen the outtakes from Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas? Oh, it, one of my favorites. Are you kidding me? Yeah, oh. that's great, man. That's an annual Christmas. Like, forget about watching Emmett Otter. I just like to watch the outtakes. Oh, <laughs> my mom just wants a bottle of Ripple. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love it. With I Frank think we should Oz run, but my voice. feet are stapled down. <laughs> oh, my. Pick it up. The best part, though, is that with all those things, and you heard everybody always talk about it with all the Muppets and stuff, if anyone was ever a guest host or anything else like that, the people that were under the stage and everything doing the puppets kind of get bored because they can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. So, And, of course, with the video assist monitors down there, they can see what's going on. And so they would go and start having conversations with people, and people would find themselves talking back, to, like having full conversations with a puppet. <laughs> I you, love it, man. You Talk know that the puppet really is just good at your craft. It's just your friend down underneath the stage, but you'll sit and you'll have a, a little conversation with a puppet, and you're like, "Oh, geez, I gotta forget. I gotta keep reminding myself that that's not a real thing. That's just a puppet." <laughs> so bizarre. Oh man. So uh, I've watched a, a crazy amount of uh, stuff here lately. Some of it is it's really odd. So. Uh, I'll talk about yesterday. I went uh, to the theater to see a uh, theatrical uh, presentation of the original Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, nice. I've never nice. actually seen the movie. I haven't. It's one of those ones that's always like, it's it's one that you feel like you've seen because you've seen probably enough pieces of it over time to yeah. where your brain just kind of goes, oh, I, I've seen that. I know what that is. I don't think that I had. Like, having, having watched it, I was just like, well, I'm going to go to the theater. This way I can't really fall asleep or anything. It's just I'll be up and ready and raring to go there, and it's only like six bucks or whatever, so it wasn't bad. Uh, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good movie. It was interesting to find out that that movie actually came out in the summer initially. <laughs> now, I had a similar experience. I think it was last year, but it might have been two years ago. My, my years run together sometimes. But I think it was last year I saw White Christmas for the first time ever. At one of those flashback cinema screenings. Mm -hmm. And uh, I liked it. And way less snow than I expected from a movie named White Christmas. And not as much <laughs> singing. I expected it to be like, you know, I heard it's a musical. I expected it to be like all out musical, almost beginning to end. Like, and I was surprised at how much wasn't. That's like Bing Crosby, right? Yeah. Bing Crosby, Danny Kay, and uh, Rosemary Clooney. Those names I can remember, but not Scott Rudd. <laughs> Uh, then I traveled home and uh, watched a, a, a trilogy of odd flip films. I, I decided yesterday was going to be eclectic day. Um, another one that I feel like I saw like way back in like eighth grade or something, but I sure shooting didn't remember most of it. Uh, Jackie Chan's Rumble in the Bronx. 
Oh, that's a good one, man. That was like his first like super big uh, Hollywood movie that he got recognized for and stuff, and then people started digging back through the old Jackie Chan Great stuff. Great outtakes like, on that oh, one yeah. at the end. Again, oh, oof. so many of these things were just like, how is this man just not dead? And like, yeah. and honestly, there were there are other movies that are way worse than these outtakes, and you're just like, oh my gosh, that's just unbelievable. Uh, but good stuff. Uh, again, going through another uh, knocking off things that uh, it seems that everyone has seen, but I have not seen, list of shame kind of stuff. Um, I, I ignored John Hughes movies for a really long time. No real reason, you know, yeah. one way or the other why. It was just like, eh, just not my bag. Uh, so I've been kind of trying to cross some of those off lately. So I've watched uh, 16 Candles for the first time. Um, it's 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 definitely one of the lesser Hughes films. It's not bad. Yeah, the, my memory with 16 Candles is not good, and it's been a long time since I've seen it. But what I really wanted to see was Pretty in Pink, and I wound up seeing 16 Candles. Yeah, or maybe it was the Pink's, other way around. Pretty Whatever in Pink's happened, way better, for sure. Yeah, so I was kind of disappointed that I didn't get to see the one I wanted to see, and I got to see what I felt like was the lesser Molly Ringwald movie. Yeah, and like again, it's I really watch all these John Hughes films and stuff, and um, I don't know how they got to be as... Uh, as well regarded as they are for this now, particular I, reason. They're not, all of these kids and all John, pretty much all John Hughes films are very well to do people. And then they, even the poor friends seem to have a better life than I did. Right. Like you look yeah. at like, what was the one where, uh, I forget which one where she's like, Oh yeah, she's, she's like, like literally lives across the tracks or whatever. I think that was pretty in pink. Yeah, that was pretty. Amazing. Yeah, she's like she literally lives like across the track, and you're like you're looking like that's a nice house. Like, I what, know um, what's wrong uh, with that. She that's not really poor. Like that's that's solid middle class. I was listening to another podcast with a podcaster that came from humble beginnings, very similar to mine, talking about the Breakfast Club, and he says the part where Bender is complaining that all he got for Christmas was a was a carton of Marlboros. And he's like, that's, you know, that's 20 packs of cigarettes. Nowadays, seven bucks a pack. That's a $140 gift. I never got a $140 gift growing up. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> I mean, cigarettes weren't even that cheap back then. I mean, they were, they were yeah. obviously cheaper, but still, when you think about it, it's like, I don't know. A, a carton of cigarettes is not, I mean, you know, for s some people that come from true poverty, so to speak, that's a pretty good gift. Oh, yeah, man. When it was like, because I... I I used to work at a Harris Teeter that was in like the middle of what I call people that were too stupid that that they didn't care that they were paying too much money and people that were too poor that they didn't realize there were other options out there. So yeah. everyone came to this store and uh, yeah, man, when the poor people were able to get themselves an entire carton of cigarettes, that was like a big expenditure, man. Yeah, yeah. So um, John Hughes, I don't know what his family background was, but I think he never really had it rough. Didn't really know what having it rough was because he gave us this this really pretty daydream escapist. I mean, I liked John Hughes films in real time, like when they were coming out. Yeah. Um, even though I was a little young, younger than the intended audience, maybe like 12, 13. But it is this this nice escapism where even even when you're the nerd, you're still kind of cool. Even when you're poor, you still have it better than what I had it. You know, even even when you're the the ugly girl, you're still uh, Ali Sheedy. 
You know, uh, I mean, <laughs> it was just this beautiful daydream escapism. And I think that I liked it for the same reason that my mom used to like big musical productions from the 60s. You know, it's just uh, total escapism from reality when your reality is kind of stinky. It is. And I think that was a lot of the John Hughes thing. <laughs> exactly. It's it's really strange when it's just like the 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 harshest thing is is like like in the movie is like, you know, jokingly one friend calls another friend a fag. And like that's about as 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 horrible as it all gets. Everything else is like, eh. It's all yeah. fine. I'm like, really? That's the worst you had to deal with was just like, oh, and, and of course in the 80s, that was such a passing glance of an insult that, you know. And, and you know, we're supposed to feel bad for Ferris Bueller because he wanted a car and he got a computer. I would have loved to have had a computer back circa You look Ferris at that Bueller cat's fail. room. He's got all kinds of crap running in there. Synthesizer, nice big keyboard. I'm like, he again, lives in a super nice house. And, like, can he's supposed to be the kind of, in comparison to, you know, the Cameron's dad or whatever, he's basically the poor kid. And he lives in a super nice house in a super nice neighborhood. Yeah. And they're just like, look at this poor schmuck. It's amazing that he can, you know, get through life like this. I'm like, and he lives in the okay. Chicago vicinity where, thanks to good times, I know there are bad parts of town. Yeah, temporary layoffs, for heaven's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, the last thing that I watched, uh, as far as yesterday goes, uh, was Daughters of Darkness. This is a uh, a, uh, a vampiric... Um, I think it. I think it can be considered lesbian vampiric movie from the seventies. It was. It's not very good. It's on Shutter right now. Uh, but it was part of the, uh, the Joe Bob Briggs thing that they did a couple months back. So I was like, ah, this is one I haven't watched. And he can even help make films that aren't even all that great. At least a little bit interesting to where you know well, you can get well, some trivia. Let's take stuff a minute and talk about Joe Bob Briggs, okay? Because I know him from his written work, and I'm talking. We're going back. Oh yeah maybe 86 or something. He was a movie reviewer for like uh, a newspaper in Texas and it got syndicated and picked up and circa, I would say 1992 or so I got a book, a paperback book that was just a uh, Joe Bob Briggs drive-in movie reviews or something like that is mm -hmm. what it was called. It's a big thick reference book size thing where I just went through and read his reviews of all these books and I became a pretty big fan of Joe Bob Briggs just from his written work. I wow. didn't know what the guy looked like, sounded like. What does he do for movies like now? I didn't even know he was still on the scene until I saw you post something about him on Facebook. Yeah, so it, it's a funny thing. They kind of, like last summer, what they wanted to do was basically say, hey, let's give him one more big final you know, kind of send-off show. We're going to do 24 hours worth of movies and, you know, he can kind of he helps kind of curate it and whatever and make sure that it is what it is, and then goes and does one last. Uh, I think they called it like the final drive-in or whatever. Now, now, who is the organization that put this together? Is this like a cable network? So this uh, is from Shutter, who is okay. Who is actually, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. owned by AMC. Right. So that's so they can you know they've got they've got some ties, <laughs> but uh, so they they got him in there. And it broke the internet, man. It was like it was so popular that people could not tune in. Uh, it, they just couldn't do it. Everything was really broken. They they were not aware for the assault on their servers that they had. And so they decided, okay, we're going to keep that back up. We're going to you know put the rebroadcast up there so people can watch it anytime. But it was so successful that it was just like, 
okay, why are we not having him back to do this again and now, again? Does he does he do kind of like a riff tracks type thing while the movie's going on, or what is he what is his involvement in a broadcast? Situation? So what essentially it is, and what he's always kind of done since like the movie channel and TNT and stuff like that. But the nice part is here, all the movies are uncut, so you don't you know you can really see all the stuff that you wanted to see. That yeah, things like uh, a, a big part of his reviews was the boob count. You know, like telling you how many boobs oh, appeared yeah. in the movie. Oh, yeah. And I always loved it when it was an odd number because then he got to explain why it was an odd number. Oh, well, that was that was one of the things, especially in uh, Daughters of Darkness, the number was 13. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then he also used to do the heads lopped off count, like how many heads rolled. Yeah, he'll, he'll still do that. Uh, so essentially the cool part of what he does here, it goes back to the original like horror hosting, your Sven Gullies and things of that nature where uh, your Elvira's where you come in, you say a little something about the movie up top, uh, you know, with him, it kind of goes to, the, you know, mostly like, here's the history of this stuff. And here's, you know, just interesting factoids, you know, then they'll go into the movie and every eh, 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so, he'll pop back in, give a little bit more information, maybe read something from the mailbag or whatever. Just uh, give more anecdotes and things of that nature. Uh, so it makes, Makes probably about an hour and a half movie, probably a little over two hours. But, you know, what you're getting is pure entertainment the whole time. Do you remember, I can't remember if he was Captain USA or Commander USA. That was like the, he, he was like the local um, cheesy Sven type host. But he was like circa 1985, I think, on USA Network. Hmm. I mean, kind of sounds familiar, but I'm no. Oh man, uh, you might ought to look into see if you can find some YouTube clips on him. I think you'd like him, especially since it was on USA Network, and it really seemed like your local uh, weatherman making a few <laughs> extra bucks by doing the late night show. I, it was bad, like on purpose bad, but done with a certain kind of veracity that I don't know how they fake bad it. You know? Yeah. And, and his sidekick was righty, but no, his sidekick was lefty. His sidekick was Lefty, which he painted his hand up to look like a little person, but it was his right hand, even though he called it Lefty. Like, little things like that, man, were always awesome. It Was it a lot of, it's okay, it's all right? <laughs> <laughs> it a little bit. Sort of humor going on. Uh, let's see. Okay, so, so uh, Dodge Darkness, you can skip it. <laughs> um, another one that's just an okay one, I saw The Old Man uh, with a Gun. It's the new one with uh, Robert... Um, Oh, Robert Redford, Sissy Spacek, uh, Danny Glover, and uh, oh, Tom Waits. Uh, it's about a guy who's just kind of robbed banks and stuff, but he's he's obviously a man in his uh, in his later age. Uh, but him and his buddies go and they rob banks, but they do it in a super nice and professional way. You know, <laughs> everyone who uh, who's in the wake of them just goes. He was really, really nice. He was a super sweet guy, <laughs> but he but he robbed us of money. And uh, it's based on a true story and everything. Uh, he picks up Sissy Spacek on the side of the road when she's having trouble with her uh, car. They form a relationship and what that relationship means and everything. Um, it's really interesting. When you find out the number of times that this guy did this at the end, when they give you like the, the real factoids and all that kind of stuff, you're like, wow. <laughs> and second of all, how did he only get that much time in jail and not just like, no, we're throwing away the key so you can never do any harm to society again? Because you robbed everywhere. And I don't want to and derail he escaped, it. And he escaped from jail so many times. He escaped from jail like crazy. 15, 16 times. 
I never understood how people escape from jail. That's not easy. But I guess if you got what it takes to do it once, then it's no big deal to do it sixteen times. I guess so. But they kind of they kind of go through and sort of show you how how the how he did all those, and some of them involved you know making like a, I don't know if it was, uh, in some ways I'm sure it was just like a whatever you know kind of it it was dark or whatnot. But there are a couple of times where you're like, is that from a movie or did they de-age him? I'm not sure. Feels like it had to be from a movie because it looked too good. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden you see very young Robert Redford walking there and you're just like, I, you know, I've seen what they've done in Marvel and stuff and it's very impressive, but it ain't that good. And you ain't telling me that this movie's got more money than Disney does. <laughs> you ain't, I ain't buying that mess, dog. Uh, I saw a Tom Waits movie this week, too. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I watched uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Did you see that at all? I've seen like the first three things of it. I haven't finished it up yet. But I think yeah. that's where they screwed up, was making an anthology to where I could stop if I needed to. Yeah. Um, I was underwhelmed, but that I don't want to talk too much about that since you haven't seen it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll get to that at some point. Um, also... I saw uh, a documentary called The Great Buster. It was a documentary uh, directed by Peter Bogdanovich about uh, Buster Keaton. It is fantastic. If you are at all a Buster Keaton fan or any fan of silent film and the history of that and how things came together, uh, quite, quite interesting. Uh, some stuff I knew, definitely some stuff that I didn't know and whatnot, but uh, a lot of talk from everything from his you know super early vaudeville days where... They went through all of these rules about what you could and couldn't do with children on stage. And yeah. one thing that they they did not say in there was you can't throw the child. They didn't say that you can't throw the child. <laughs> <laughs> Some things you think so, are inferred. You don't so they like they right. basically put like a suitcase handle on his back on a way to be able to throw him really far. <laughs> <laughs> like so much of this stuff you're just like oh that's uh that's light child abuse <laughs> they're like well, he was always a very physical actor so i guess oh he yeah they said on. he was only ever when he was a kid he was only ever really hurt twice and and even those weren't you know that big a deal so like he was a very uh he's a very bobble worthy kid just kind of mm, came right back up no big deal uh but oh, man. very very good especially if you need like kind of an early uh, primer and everything about Buster Keaton and uh, his history and everything, I would highly suggest you check that out. Tons of people that you'll recognize. And I wonder what the conversation was with Peter Bogdanovich sitting down, uh, a civil shepherd, and being like, hey, you want an interview? Like, Didn't y'all used to... I, I guess that relationship is good enough to where you're like, oh, I'll, 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 I'll be interviewed by you for a movie. But that's, I think Peter Bogdanovich also is one of the creepazoids in Hollywood that does not get the credit for being the creepazoid that he clearly, clearly, clearly was. I don't know much about his uh, uh, history. Yeah, he uh, he tend to like a lot of the ladies and the ladies. I, different time, to be sure, but at the same time, 16 is 16, dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh, I'm aware that it was the rules were a little bit more loosey-goosey, but... Was she only sixteen in the last picture show? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, she was like sixteen in that in that flick. Oh man! And uh, and like he he dumped like a wife for like you know a younger lady at least two or three times. He's, he's kind of, he's kind of an underground dirtbag, but because he has so much Hollywood history, it's just like we go, eh, you know what do we do? He wears ascots. <laughs> 
Uh, I also want to talk about, sorry, I've got so much of what you've been watching, but I, like I said, I've been off for a couple weeks here, so we have to kind of fill in some uh, holes here. Uh, I saw the new movie from, um, oh, my brain is taking a, just took a nap. Uh, I saw the, the house that Jack built, the Lars von Trigger's new movie. Okay. Uh, so it stars Matt Dillon. And probably one of the best Matt Dillon roles I've seen in quite some time. And I'm going to say something very controversial here. I think if they wanted to remake Evil Dead, Matt Dillon could be could and should be the guy to do it. He looks like he looks like Bruce Campbell now. He really does. He's got a lot of Bruce Campbell attributes. But I mean, in terms of age, they've got to be not that far apart in age. I think I bet you. Matt Dillon's 54, it says. Okay, so let's look up, uh, what's his name? Bruce Campbell. He's got to be in his Bruce 60s. Campbell's 60, so there's six years difference. It's not huge. That's weird. Well, Matt, I'll say this. Matt Dillon looks a lot younger. <laughs> I like yeah. Bruce Campbell, but Bruce Campbell's obviously getting getting on there in age a little bit and, and looks more so of it than uh, Dillon does. But uh, another great thing about this flick is there's like, um, so he plays this guy, and he picks up a, uh, a hitchhiker. Well, she's not really a hitchhiker. She's um, broken down on the side of the road. This uh, woman played by Uma Thurman. And another great Uma Thurman performance that only lasts you know, a couple of minutes in a Lars von Trigger movie. He did this with Nymphomaniac as well, where she's in there for like maybe 15 to 20 minutes. But it's really, really good. <laughs> and it's like, man, that's a shame that that character can't stick around. Uh, but she just starts talking a whole bunch of smack to him and stuff. And then he, uh, then he kills her, <laughs> and then well. and then goes on a uh, basically a killing rampage and ends up have, killing a whole bunch of people, storing them in this cold storage facility and everything. Uh, and he goes from a guy who's very kind of OCD on everything to someone who's given up a lot of the OCD things, uh, and it it wind, it winds up in the darkest places of all dark places. Uh, but I will say this. I mean, it's a large on trigger movie, so as you can imagine, it's not super picky up, feel good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've I've just I've steered away from Lars von Trier movies intentionally. As as well I would suggest most people do. But I will say this, in comparison to his work though, I think that you would probably think this one would be okay. It's not that bad overall. There's one or two little things that, you know, would obviously kind of touch some people in the in the in the wrong way. There's a scene with a duck that's like, wow, that has to be CGI because it looked too good. Because <laughs> please tell me you didn't really do that to a duck. Yeah, I don't even want to think about Lars von Trier and a duck. So, like, but he did he did everything that you're quote unquote not supposed to do in a movie, a save for kill a dog. He did not kill a dog in the film. Outside of that, though, just about everything that they say, oh, don't do that, he did it. As soon as you think that, like, oh, they're not going to do that with, with this family. Oh yes, they did, <laughs> and I could see that that's probably what got it like a uh, a, a bad rating. That they were like, "Oh no, we can't release this." <laughs> but they got in trouble. The, the, it's funny because they got in trouble with the MPAA because the MPAA said um, they didn't come back to get like a waiver or something more or less, so they could release this unrated in theaters before they released it uh, rated, right? Yeah. So. It, it just they were like we're gonna we're gonna pull money from or we're gonna uh, not do anything else with IFC Films or anything anymore just because you're not following our rules, 
And it really got me thinking about how the MPAA is just broken. It yeah. doesn't need I to mean, be I there like anymore. I feel like IFC Films, aren't they the ones who did this film was not yet rated? I can't remember if they did it or not, but uh, them, that movie is great for anybody that needs like an insight into you know how the MPAA works or doesn't work in a lot of uh, strange ways. And I love it that they submitted it for a rating, but it was ineligible because it dealt with the MPAA. I, I love the whole story with that. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, uh, but it's a super great documentary. Uh, but, you know, here's the thing. There, there, places are not above, like, showing NC-17 rated movies or unrated movies today. Uh, the Great Buster, that was unrated because they just did not submit it because why why spend money on something that doesn't really matter anymore? Because it used to be that if you didn't have a rating, newspapers would not print the times for your movies. Well, guess what? No newspapers print times for movies anymore. <laughs> it doesn't exist. So, you know, you can just go to Fandango or wherever and see your time, and you're off to the races. Rated, yeah. unrated, it doesn't really matter. I think it's a nice guideline for parents and stuff like that, but no one truly needs uh, the MPAA. So, but uh, For certain movies, you definitely don't. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. like uh, any, any movie with uh, Glenn Close and, and Robert De Niro, my kids aren't going to go see that. So I don't care what it's right. <laughs> a new Glenn Close flick's coming out, Daddy. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> uh, when you do need it, though, like things like Deadpool, you know, the stuff that I need to know yeah. whether it's RPG thirteen on some. Like of that I said, stuff, I think it's yeah. a, I think it's a great compendium as as a guide for parents and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, eh, doesn't really do all that much. But now I'm going to wrap up my what you've been watching with telling you quickly here about a movie that I think everyone needs to go see if and it's available in your area. This is a Swedish film called Border. Now, here's what the trailer shows. <laughs> the trailer shows this woman who looks like a Geico caveman, right? Okay. L like literally looks like a Geico caveman and is on is a border guard for uh Oh, for, you told me Swiss. about this on our uh, pre-show on another podcast. Yes. So, and then uh, she can basically sort of smell stuff in the air and, like, can smell fear on people and things of that nature. Then another guy, then one day, another guy, caveman kind of looking dude, comes through the line and she's like, something's up with this. I, I, I don't know what it is. I can't get a good read on this guy. So they bring him back and uh, they search him and everything, find nothing, no contraband of any kind. And I got to sneeze. Hold on. There it is. Okay. So they find no contraband or anything on them, and then they go, well, we're going to search them. So they go and search them, and they find out that um, not all the bits and pieces are where they're uh, normally at for, for people. So that's that's an odd thing. Um, and this is called Just Border? Just Border. I can't even find anything about it, man. I'm curious. <laughs> and so they eventually will end up having a relationship together uh, I don't want to talk too much about what goes on because it's wild and crazy, uh, but I will say this. Um, there is a sex scene you'll never, ever forget in the film. Uh, oh, boy. I'm looking at, um, I don't know if it's a clip or a trailer, but, boy, you're not kidding about the Geico Caveman. Yeah, thing. like that's not, a, that's not an exaggeration. Literally looks like the Geico Caveman. And so uh, they get together. Um, she, he's like living out in the back guest house or whatever. She throws her, her man, which unbelievable that that lady's got a man, uh, which really kind of makes you sit back and go like, what's wrong with me? 
but <laughs> they go through, he's like, all I'll say is this. When there's a scene that involves a refrigerator that's been duct taped up and everything, she gets curious, goes and opens up the refrigerator. I cannot remember the last time in a theater where I just put my hand around my mouth and gasped and went, what? Now you this got me like, does interested, and I'll probably never be able to watch this anywhere. Oh, I bet you will. I bet it'll, I, I think that this will be something that comes out eventually. It'll probably go like Netflix or something like that. But okay, man, oh man, it was super weird, super bizarre, and uh, it's definitely it's in my top ten of the year for sure. Just on account of like, there's nothing else that's like this out there. There was a lady in our screening who left 20 minutes into the film, and she got to where what I would call a two on the weird scale. What and drove her out? What she, happened that drove her out of the movie? I don't even remember. It was something that didn't seem... I think she just... Uh, I don't even remember if they had gotten naked at that point. <laughs> but yes, there's a I, lot of... guy. got to see this now. There's a lot of Geico cave uh, uh, naked people in it. And again, there's a, there's a sex scene... And then where things end up at the end, she gets a package. And, like, it's just, what the hell am I watching? But it's kind of great. <laughs> oh, man, now I'm very, very intrigued. So that's Border. Uh, check that out whenever, if and when you can find that anywhere. I'm sure it's it's probably just getting out of theaters. I told them, I was just like, yeah, you guys have got to keep a number of how many people walk out of this film. Because that's what I would be doing at work. <laughs> I'd be like, how many people are going to leave? Because they're like, this is disgusting. This is so weird. This is bizarre. No one, and the interesting, no one less, left House of Jack built. Nobody left that. But this okay. one woman le left out. And there were only like four or five of us in the theater at the time. And this one woman was just like, nah, I'm out of here. See you. Oh man! All oh right. man! Let's let's get away from this exactly. uh, weird talk and let's get into Wreck It Ralph. Yeah, let's get into some nice wholesome stuff here. Here's the trailer for Wreck It Ralph. Hey, kid! Wake up! Ralph, what is wrong with you? Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. Ralph, what is it you're trying to say? We're going to the internet. Search bar. What can I help you find today? Um, Umbrella. Umbridge. Umami. No. Noah's Ark. No doubt. Nordstrom Rack. <sighs> Ergonomics. Urban Outfitters. Urkul. I'm pretty sure he's just trying to guess what you're gonna say. My autofill is a touch aggressive today. Let me try. Take me to a website that's super intense and really nuts. Oh, I only found one result. <laughs> Oh, come on. Princesses and cartoon characters barf. Hey. Whoa. Cool. You're coming with us, kid. <gasps> Hi. <gasps> whoa, whoa, ladies, I'm a 
princess, too. What kind of a princess are you? Uh, do you have magic hair? No. Magic hands? No. Do animals talk to you? No. Were you poisoned? No. Cursed? No. Kidnapped or enslaved? No. Are you guys okay? Should I call the police? Do people assume all your problems got solved because a big, strong man showed up? Yes. What is up with that? She, she is, is a princess. princess. <laughs> Ralph breaks the internet. Shouldn't it be Ralph wrecks the internet? Yeah, since he is Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, yeah, but break the internet, it's like a thing. Right, it's just wreck the internet kind of sounds better, doesn't it? You're not wrong. All righty, that was the trailer for Ralph Breaks the Internet. That's the actual title. It's not Wreck-It Ralph 2, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it should I be Wreck-It Ralph get 2. Mind. It should be, though. Uh, here's the IMDb plotline. Six years after the events of Wreck-It Ralph, Ralph and Vanellope now friends discover a Wi-Fi router in their arcade, leading them into a new adventure. This, of course, again, starring John C. Riley, Sarah Silverman, Gal Gadot, bringing her first uh, trip into this, as well as Taraji P. Henson. Uh, Jack McBrayer and Jane Lynch, of course, are back, and many more that uh, everybody knows from all these things. Uh, Bruce, what were your thoughts on the first Wreck-It Ralph? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, the first Wreck-It Ralph, I, I remember thinking it was fine enough, but when I look back, I don't remember much about it, mm -hmm. uh, so I don't think it had a whole lot of an impact on me. Uh, the strangest thing about it is that it was real tough for me to understand why it was under the Disney banner and not the Pixar banner. I mean, a lot of it, things about it say that this should have been a Pixar movie when I saw Wreck-It Ralph. It, it, I mean, it really is like the video game version of Toy Story. Yeah, and, pretty much. And, and that was kind of the whole thing. I wondered, you know, why why did they not do this as Pixar? Why is this Disney? I mean, is it even like a, a choice whether it could be Pixar or Disney? I know that... You know, Disney owns Pixar, but I have no idea how the creative process works with the studios there. Like, maybe this was never even had a chance of being a Pixar thing, or maybe it was, and then they moved it over. I, I spent my, so much time internally, like, wondering why it was Disney instead of Pixar that it really distracted me. <laughs> that from I the didn't movie, even though. watch the film. I was like, well, what seriously, is this? though, it, it was distracting to me. Um, but I thought it was fine. You know, John C. Riley's great. I like the character designs. It was interesting because, you know, Wreck It Ralph and Fix It Felix Jr clearly uh donkey kong and mario analogs right but they have so many other proprietary characters that it's kind of weird when they throw a couple of these original characters in there but of course we know why they do that but um uh, the first one was like good enough when i was there and then i left the theater and didn't think about it much again until the sequel came out it was that kind of thing yeah i think i kind of fall in that same sort of uh avenue there is that i thought it was okay it had enough of the interesting references and things to you know get that nostalgia bug, which is, you know, giant levels of currency uh, these days. It's called, hey, can you get the feels from the old stuff? Ah, that'll get them into the theater because they're dumb, see? I mean, well, that, look, that we're, we're in another Jurassic else. Park, you know, for heaven's sake. So, <laughs> Some of the nostalgia they went for with the 8-bit uh, video games in Wreck-It Ralph, the first one, was even a little bit old for me. You know, yeah. like like... Uh, root beer tapper i'm familiar with it but it's kind of before my time a little bit you know it, it all this stuff that's like still uh cabinet arcade games uh you're almost wanting the kids to come in with their grandparents instead of their parents exactly and that was references. more for kids in their 50s and 60s by the time that you know that that movie rolls around <laughs> yeah um so i i thought it was kind of a weird thing but my kids were still super eager to see it and they enjoyed you know the first one um 
uh, the the Penelope character, I wasn't sure what they were doing with that in the first time around, and I'm not sure they were either, though now they seem to have made it seem like they had a plan for her all along with what they do with her and Ralph Breaks the Internet. But, you know, I like Sarah Silverman well enough. I like uh, John C. Riley well enough. I really like Jack McBrayer. I wish that Fix-It Felix Jr. had been in the sequel a little bit more because, you know, he had a whole lot more in the first movie than he did in the second. Yeah, he was but, really maligned for this one. This is definitely, but while that was, I think Fix-It Felix was definitely uh, like one of the main three characters. He's really been re uh, relegated to the side. Well, I mean, because Ralph and Penelope leave the arcade, so everybody that's an arcade regular is gone and we get a whole new set. But with this one, oh, I didn't, uh, oh, oh, what, wow, my brain just took a giant dump. Uh, who, who else? Bill Hader. Bill Hader is, yeah, Bill uh, Hader. is, is a big new addition to this. Uncredited, I think. No, he's credited. He's in there. Okay. I thought, I knew that he was in it, but I thought he was, uh, uncredited for what he did. But, um, I think if we can go ahead and start talking about Ralph Breaks the Internet, I think that one actually did a lot better with the nostalgia when it has, uh, like the dead part of the internet that has the dial-up modems and references to like AOL and stuff like that. Like, like I think that definitely uh, gave me more chuckles than the 8-bit stuff from the first one. I, I would say overall, I enjoyed the sequel better than the first one. I think I did too. Uh, I felt the story ended up just kind of coming together a little bit. And honestly, throughout the trailers and stuff like that, I really, I don't know what it was maybe the trailer voice is different from what they finished out with that's it's possible it's happened before uh but watching the trailers i was just like oh man this voice that sarah silverman is doing feels like it's so grating i don't know how much i'm but again when watching it that all went away it just didn't really matter it was kind of gone and ultimately i think she gives a really really solid performance in this flick yeah yeah and she needs to because this is her movie this isn't, you know, Ralph might be the title character. The last movie was Ralph's. This one's really Penelope's. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's good. It's a it's nice, solid, sweet and everything and uh but doesn't it, it leans into like hey, everybody can like different stuff and, you know, who cares. Strange strange for a Disney movie, there's not really a villain in this movie. Time is more of the villain than anything, I I I would guess. Yeah, and it's sort of, you know, the three uh, basic conflicts, man versus man, man versus nature, man versus himself. This is one of those man versus himself stories, too, because, you know, Ralph creates the problem. Ralph has to face the problem. Um, uh, but, it, it, you know, usually with Disney Disney movies, no matter what it is, even the first Wreck-It Ralph, we had that uh, Alan Tudyk's character, the king of uh, Candyland or whatever, that was the overt villain by the end. You know, they like to have a Maleficent. They like to have... Uh, yeah. a clear-cut hero-villain kind of dynamic. And here, when that's not in there at all, um, I think I like that because it was different. It wasn't just more of the same. I kept waiting for the villain to show up. Uh, on first impression, I really expected Tarachi uh, Henson's character to end up being a villain, but she's not. She's actually sincere and genuine throughout. Yeah, she's just, like, super me. helpful. That's all. I mean, didn't you expect that maybe she was going to be the villain, kind of like the... Uh, uh, Rob Lowe character from uh, uh, the Mike Myers, Garth, and Wayne movie. What's that called? Wayne's, Wayne's World. World. <laughs> yeah. I expected her to be kind of like the Rob Lowe character from Wayne's World, and she wasn't. <laughs> Still one of my favorite lines ever. And you know what the worst part is? I never learned to read. <laughs> really? Yeah, everything except for the reading part. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really good. 
good. I, I yeah, love that movie growing up. No villain, and and I was a little unsettled by the big Ralph giant that shows up in the end that has like lots of pink writhing Ralphs all within it. You get yeah. some close ups on that. It, it was a little bit unsettling, man. I thought a little, a little too, uh, um, uncomfortable for a kids movie for me at times. It's a little bizarre. But uh, I also like how when Penelope leaves, uh, ends up leaving her racing game and everything, everyone in that game gets super nice and polite. It's like the well, only reason everybody in there was trash was because of her. It's all because Felix Jr. and uh, Jane Lynch's character, Commander Hondo or whatever, they, they got him into shape. Oh my god, they like adopted 30 kids or whatever. Like that's, I thought that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, they had a great line where they said, uh, you know, we've never, ever talked about having kids before, but jumping into parenthood seems like the thing you should do without any thought. <laughs> you know, something crazy like that. Because why not? And uh, I don't know, man. The The Internet world to me was a lot more interesting than the arcade world that we had in the first one. Uh, you know, it's not perfect, but the, the big highlights of the movie for me, uh, they loved it. They played it to death in the trailer, so there were no surprises there, really. But the time Penelope spends with the Disney princesses, and they were trying to give us our oddball princess, which every princess they make now, they're trying to make an oddball princess. But I really think Penelope is the only time they've really tried to do it. They try to, you know, they'll give us a totally uh, beautiful woman, but everything she touches is freezes and frozen. So they say she's a different kind of princess. And then, you know, they gave us a person of color in the, the frog prince. Was that the name of that one? Uh, but she's still like a beautiful frog. cookie cutter princess, like all the rest. But Penelope really is a different kind of princess. And I was surprised because like, I really, it's, it's the trailer's fault. The trailer really kind of puts it up for more of the, like, you know, it feels like you're going to get one of those, you know, real like ladies are this and that other scenes and it's it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like they're shoehorning it in there to make it at least it's done and it's done well i'll put and, it that the, way the other highlight for me was when penelope finally does sing her song and she's in the slaughter race uh game setting and she's singing the song and i think that's really funny man uh, it, it is a nice parody of a Disney princess song. Yeah. And there's a part of me that's surprised that Disney, the corporation Disney, I'll talk about them as if they were one person that they have enough self-confidence to actually poke fun at their own, uh, cliches, I guess I would say Johnny Disney uh, here. I thought that was a great idea. Yeah. And, and like, once again, if this were coming from Pixar, I could see them maybe trying to poke a little bit of the, the tiger's ribs over there with Disney, but Disney actually doing it themselves. Uh, you know, Disney kind of, when we go to Disney World and you're taking the the Disney quizzes and you've got the st the Star Wars properties and the Marvel properties and the princesses all thrown together in one little corner, I felt that that was a nice kind of nod at just how uh, ridiculous their their corporate entertainment entities becoming. We own so I, all I of this crap. Aha, look at how much we control of your lives, you pitiful pitiful losers. <laughs> like, yeah. And I do like it that rather than classic stormtroopers, they do give us uh, the first order stormtroopers from the Force Awakens. You know, they give us the ones that they <laughs> created, not the ones that Fox ever had. Uh, they don't exist. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think I don't think there's a whole lot of valuable discussion to have here with Ralph Breaks the Internet. But it's, you know, if you've got kids and you haven't seen it yet, which box office suggests you probably have. Yeah. But it's a good one, man. It's it's one that you can enjoy fine enough. Uh, you know, you're going to definitely see all the most annoying things about YouTube. Uh, your kids are going to like it because your kids love YouTube more than 
uh, they ever loved cabinet arcade or you. games. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I think it, I think it's, it's fine enough. And I, I definitely liked it better than the first one. Yeah, I agree. But it is weird seeing things that's like, okay, well, you got Google aboard, but Google isn't the search engine thing that you use. You have Google aboard, but yet you call it BuzzTube. It's, I, I, there are certain things where you are scratching your head going like, why did you change this? You've got all well, this stuff, but why this? I, I, I feel like the, the the blatant product placement of having Google's name on a building is pretty easy to get by with. But then if you had Google be the search engine, and then you're you're having fun at the search engine's expense, it uh, gets a little problematic. So you get to ask more. And then BuzzTube instead of YouTube. A couple things there. Once again, having a little fun at BuzzTube's success about just how dumb some of the videos are and the best way to make money is to just copy what other people are doing. That's true. Um, maybe YouTube doesn't want you using their name in that regard, you know? That's a good and also, point. for all we know, Disney's going to unveil BuzzTube this summer. <laughs> By the way, that's also part of our new streaming service. It's BuzzTube as well. Suck it, world. <laughs> We're Disney. We do whatever we want to yeah. do. We don't need your permission. Thank you very much. And I like bringing Alan Tudyk back to be that Ask More character, their their uh, search engine character, because you know Alan Tudyk, I'm a big fan, and he was the the king who was the bad guy in the first one, so he's kind of gone. That character's gone, but now we have uh, the same actor in a new role. Not too shabby. I enjoy it. Speaking of something else, we might enjoy. We've all enjoyed a lot of these uh, Rocky movies over the year. Let's go ahead and listen to the trailer for Creed Two. We don't do what we'd love. Then we wouldn't exist. It's time, kid. It's like nothing really matters to him right now. Including me. You gotta think real hard about this. You got people that need you now. I'm taking the fight. Victor Drago, son of Ivan Drago, who infamously killed Apollo Creed, appeared today to issue a challenge to Adonis Creed. Don't do this. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said, and you died right here in my hands. That kid was raised in hate. It's dangerous. He broke things in me that ain't never been fixed. It ain't worth it. It's not just us anymore, Dave. I want to rewrite history. If you want to fight this man, that's your business. But don't pretend this is about your father. This here is all about my wife. My kids, the life that I live Through the night, I was his It was right when I did My ups and downs, my slips, my falls My trials and tribulations My heart, my balls This won't be the end of me Or you It can't be Because we're a team You know what you're fighting for. Round after round, you learn more about yourself than when I stepped in that ring. 
wasn't all about me. All right, that was the trailer for Creed 2. Here's the MDB plotline under the tutelage. That's always a fun word, tutelage. Tutelage of Rocky Balboa, heavyweight contender Adonis Creed, faces off against Victor Drago, son of Ivan Drago. Ooh, this one is not directed uh, by uh, Ryan Coogler. Sorry, this is uh, Stephen uh, Capel Jr. Who is a, a friend and an associate of Ryan Coogler's. Oh, okay. But a uh, buddy of his. All right, very good. Because he did, Ryan Coogler did still produce this thing. So yeah, uh, he was he was handpicked by Coogler 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 Ross. Yeah, he was handpicked um, because I think they attended film school together. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, that's that's the kind of guy you want to go to film school with. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> hey, would you exactly. like to do, direct another uh, Rocky franchise movie? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wanted Kasdan to do it, but it didn't work out. You know. Uh, of course, starring Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone, Tessa Thompson, and uh, Dolph Lundgren. Some guy named Dolph Lundgren. I don't know. He's, a, he's, a, he's one of those new kids on the street. Um, so Creed came out a couple years back. I think took a lot of people. Four, four years Was back. it that long ago now? Man, oh, man. I think so. Four or three. I think it's four. Uh, but really kind of, I don't want to say put Michael B. Jordan on the map because that's not really true. The guy just is kind of really taken off. Even since Fruitvale Station, which was him and Ryan Coogler's first uh, uh, tango yeah. together, and uh, he's only gotten huger since. <laughs> and uh, man, oh man, talk about a juggernaut, man! This this thing is uh, this thing killed at the box office. Oh, the original Creed. Oh, both of them. Both. Of oh, them did this one? I, I haven't even checked the returns on Creed too. I I got the idea. Maybe it didn't uh, have the success that Creed did. I mean, it's not quite as crazy, mind you. But like, it's worldwide. It's done ninety five million right now on a estimated not fifty bad. million dollar budget. That's pretty decent. And it'll it'll it, it'll still have another two or three weeks to ride at pretty decent numbers until things start getting a little bit wild. So people are still seeing it for sure. So so do you think there's a chance, Mister T? got angry that Dolph Lundgren's in this movie and they skipped clean over Clubber Lang. To Y'all go gotta to, uh... go to me next. Y'all gotta go <laughs> I, to me. I think that it would have been nice if the Creed 2 had just been going up against Clubber Lang's kid and then uh, you wait till Creed 3 to bring in Drago. I First of all, okay, so I'll start here. I think, uh, I, I like the first Creed movie. I thought it was pretty good. Again, it was another one of those... Um, restarting of a franchise that made things feel nice and fresh and everything. And I think Ryan Coogler was really the right guy to get to do that flick. And I'll say I was surprised that he wanted to do it. I mean, he wanted to do it. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't Stallone coming to him. It was him going to Stallone. Exactly. Just saying, Hey, I've got this great idea. Here's what I want to do. And Stallone going, yeah, Hey, that does sound like it'd be pretty good. Uh, but come this second, the second round, if you will. Hmm? Huh? Hmm? Yeah. Uh, I find myself. Here's the thing: Creed Two is not a bad movie. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not a bad movie at all. But it is wildly formulaic. Well, in let's, every let's way talk, you could think of. <laughs> let's talk about Creed because Creed was also wildly formulaic, but done in a way that felt good. Yeah. Um, a lot of that credit, you know, goes to Coogler. Who directed it? The guy. I mean, there's no question now. The whole world understands that this guy is a superstar director, and he's got a talent for filmmaking, obviously. Yeah. But you know how The Force Awakens was sort of Star Wars, just told a little bit differently. Right. And, and there's this this 
thing. I don't know what to call it. It's not a remake. It's not a reboot, but you're retelling the same story in a different timeline, but with some of the same people that have seen it once before. So they should recognize what's going on. But, uh, you know, I'm a, I consider myself a Rocky aficionado and Creed really retells the story of Rocky in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's very formulaic in that it retells Rocky. Creed two is formulaic in that it retells the rest of the Rocky movies. It, it, like all the Rocky sequels were very similar in their format on how they were made and how they were put together oh, no. with the exception of five. Oh, no, he can't go down again, blah, blah, blah. This is the last thing, uh, yeah, one more and, time, and, blah, blah, blah. Just, it was constantly the same damn thing. And I, if, if Coogler had written this one, I would have said it was a stroke of genius that he's making some commentary on how he remade Rocky with the first one, then remade all the sequels with the second one. But, of course... The reason that the second one remakes all the sequels is it was written by the guy who wrote all the sequels, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, Sl- uh, Sylvester Stallone, who was originally slated to direct this too, which would have been interesting. Yeah, I think it would have been interesting had he actually, you know, had a little bit more hand in this. But I, I'm going to say that I loved Sylvester Stallone and Rocky. I enjoyed the movies Rocky Two, II, Rocky Three, and Rocky Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocky Five was bad all the way around. I didn't particularly yeah. admire Stallone's performance in those '80s Rocky's movies. Definitely didn't like it in Five. I liked Rocky Balboa. Yeah. I'm the guy who liked it. And then Creed, I honestly wanted him to get uh, an Academy Award nomination for Creed. I really did, and I wasn't alone in that. And I still like the emotion that uh, Sylvester Stallone brings in Creed Two. Even though Creed Two is a lesser movie, it's still a satisfying movie. And Stallone's performance shows the kind of humbleness and vulnerability that we once thought was impossible by uh, uh, the guy whose, what, sweat they bottle and sell as an aphrodisiac to rhinoceroses in Asia or something like Precisely. that. We say all those things on HMP. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of what he's doing. He said this is going to be his last go around, which makes sense, but I'm a little bit sad. You know, eight mo- if you've done eight movies, why not go for nine? I mean, they're they're doing that with the Rambo, man. I mean, like... That last Rambo flick was like the the ending. It was just like, oh. Yeah, it was a perfect. perfect ending, and now they're doing another one. And they were like, you know what? I think we need at least one more of those. I'm like, oh, boy. At least he's at least he is doubling down with this one and going, no, for real, this one's the last one. And like, and just, just for a wake-up call, by the way, Sylvester Stallone right now, older than Burgess Meredith when he made uh, Rocky. Oh, yeah. So older than Burgess Meredith, Sylvester Stallone is the trainer. But I, I really like what he brings to this character, and I kind of want to see this character continue to decline in health and increase in heart, so to speak. Uh, one thing that bugged me is there were a couple of opportunities where I really felt like Sylvester Stallone should have just told uh, Adonis, I love you. You know, there were a couple of moments where I thought that should have come out of his mouth at mm-hmm. this point in his life and with what he's dealing with and how alone Rocky has become in his old age. I felt like he should have said that, and I was kind of surprised he never did. Yeah, uh, and it's one of those things. Like I said, I I think that ultimately this movie's made enough money. It's not like I don't know, but I I'm really hoping they don't make another one. I think we're good with these two because ultimately this one, um, I don't because I don't know what they do after this one. In as much as <laughs> We've Here's had they- <laughs> we've had all this go through, and at this point, I think that the way that the series is running, he can't not win. 
He will have to win everything from here on out. I don't think audience at this point would accept uh, Adonis Creed losing. I think and I think next- he should have lost this fight. I think he should have lost this. I think that this ultimately should have been uh, more like Rocky. I think he should have lost because, like, the thing that every that, that this goes into, and you hear this shouted about in all the Rocky sequels and everything, is how sometimes you need to learn to throw in the towel. Sometimes you need to learn that you have, in order to gain, you have to lose. And, and you know, the way that it did end with uh, Drago, which, by the way, Dolph Lundgren is in any project. I'm going to go see it, even if it is Kindergarten Cop 2. <laughs> but I, the way that the towel was thrown in by Drago was interesting. And I knew they were going to have to do something with the towel just because of how it all goes back to Rocky Four, which I've seen about 718 times. Of course. So I wasn't necessarily expecting it to go down the way it, it went down. I kind of thought that maybe Rocky was going to throw in the towel. I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Um, I didn't expect the towel to be thrown in by Drago, but I kind of like it when something I didn't expect to happen happens you know, or something I expected to happen, which is a towel being thrown in happens in a way I didn't expect. And I know that at least at some point in uh, Sylvester Stallone's life, he's thought about writing the Drago movie, just like Creed. You know, he he wanted, you know, there was a part of him that probably wanted to tell this movie from the Drago perspective, from Ivan and Victor's perspective. Ultimately, I think it would have been a more interesting film. uh, And I think that that unspoken part of the film probably is the most interesting thing that we're seeing here because a lot of the Creed stuff is sort of rote, sort of melodramatic. Um, you know, very, the very, very paint by numbers. Every single thing that you can like, if you, if you gave everybody like three plot points and then have everyone kind of more or less map out what the movie's more likely to do, I would say most people would be pretty on with their assumptions as to what they would think would happen. And, and, you know, the interesting story that's going on is this whole Victor and Ivan, and then they bring in Brigitte Nilsson's character again, and then she goes on back out. Like, that is the interesting story. Mm-hmm. part that puzzled me is at the end of Rocky Four. you know, Rocky gives the big speech, if he can change and I can change, then we all can change. And I always got the idea that Rocky and Drago parted with respect for one another. Yeah. But here it comes across as if they still hate each other. Um, that That is something that I didn't expect in this movie and i i uh, don't know why i give stallone more credit than what this movie shows i don't know what 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 it is about him that makes me think you would have a better understanding of this character but i really expected them to be more like uh, you know the the guys that used to beat each other up playing football but now they love to talk about the glory days like i expected almost the two of them to be worried about the kids fighting. Like it would have been interesting if neither one of them wanted this fight to happen, but Creed and Victor were going ahead with it anyway. Yeah. I, I just, I don't under, I wish it was, I wish and the it was reason better. That the Drago movie didn't get made is way too many subtitles. Yeah. Uh, I, but I'll say this, like I thought all of that was really interesting about how like he's lost his family and everything and how, Really, that was the first day of the you know the rest of his downhill life, and he's finally got himself a chance to you know kind of prove himself and get back in there. But again, we can't we can't tell that story now. And I I mean I kind of know why, but I and, don't know why. You know what I mean? 
and and I feel like there should have been a part where Ivan says to to Rocky, you know, because of you, I lost everything. Now I don't have anything. And Rocky goes, at least you still got your son. I don't even have that because a big part of this movie is Rocky finally seeing his son for the first time since the end of uh, Rocky Balboa, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's there's been some estrangement there. So I thought there was a lot of stuff that could have been touched on that that wasn't maybe it was touched on and had to, i mean this isn't a short movie so there's stuff that they had to uh you know cut your darlings uh, uh cut what you love some of that had to happen here mm-hmm. but yeah ultimately it's like it's good and um but it's 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 definitely lesser than creed for sure but i mean it's it's obvious it's better than rocky five <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's better than rocky balboa too um, it is. To, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Rocky Balboa, but I, I, I'd probably agree with that. Rocky Balboa is pretty ridiculous. You, you got an old man fighting a current boxer. I mean, that's that's what Rocky Balboa yeah, is. Like, you will die. Now, speaking of which, there is I forget which boxer it was, but uh, silly Michael B. Jordan. God bless him. He's you know, the kid's got a kid's got a heart as big as a Mack truck, but he is. I think it was like maybe like Roy Jones Jr. or somebody like that. Some big big former boxer who's like 50 or something now. Yeah. Uh, he said, he has said, uh, like I guess somebody in a radio interview was just like, hey man, like anybody that, you, you know, it's like obviously, you know, it's movies and all this kind of stuff, but is there anybody in the ring that, you know, you, you think you'd like to, you know, previously or current that you'd like to kind of throw down with? And he mentions this guy's name is like, I know I couldn't have taken him back in the day, but right now, eh, I think I'd probably give him a run for his money. And of course, he got a response of like, "Give me eight weeks." <laughs> he's like, "I ain't never backed down from a fight." He's just like, "Look," he's like, "I respect that guy. Like, he's a good actor. He looks like he's in really good shape and stuff, but it ain't even gonna be close." <laughs> he's like, "He can try, but it's not no." You're just not. And I'm sure Michael B. Jordan, he looks like he's in fantastic shape. He looks like the superhero that he is. And he looks like a real good boxer and everything. But, dude, you can't you can't mess with these old timers, man. They will destroy you. He would he would get hammered so hard. It, and, uh, it's ridiculous. And uh, the, the guy that played Victor, uh, Big Nasty, he mm-hmm. is a, a Romanian boxer, heavyweight boxer. Oh yeah, and he actually had to to lose he had to lose weight and lose muscle so he wouldn't look so ridiculous in the ring with Jordan. Just to give you some uh, some perspective there, like as as big as you know, he still had that Killmonger physique going on here. He yeah. was bigger than he was in Creed, and more muscular than he was in Creed. Michael B. Jordan, but the real professional boxer had to like cut weight and lose muscle just to not make it look ridiculous. Because yeah, he's. Uh... I mean, he's already like taller than him and has a bigger reach and all that kind of stuff. So, but you just look at him and you'd be like, yeah, if this were real, he'd go down so fast because he's just, <laughs> he, again, you're physically in shape, but that guy, that guy's for real. <laughs> There's like everybody. And I know, I know in. Go ahead. I know in Rocky Four that uh, Lundgren and Stallone actually hit each other, and Stallone talked about it was like being hit by a truck. But even in that situation, Lundgren wasn't an actual like heavyweight contender. You know what I mean? So I'm hoping they didn't re- do a whole lot of the hitting each other in this movie like uh, Just uh, do it. Stallone and Lundgren did. 
And I, I don't know. There's just there's so much that like you you kind of want to scream at everything here because you obviously want this character to go on. You want the character to win, but at the same time, this kid's almost about to die. He's got a newborn child. It's just like there's so much of you just going. This is wildly wrong. <laughs> this should not be happening right now. You should, and, and someone when, should when throw Stallone... in the towel because you are. Or if he'd have died, wow, what a heavy thing that would have been. And I also, you know, when Rocky is telling him why he doesn't want him to fight Victor, and he's talking about uh, uh, Drago broke things in me that can't ever be fixed. I felt like in that conversation, it would have been really nice. I would have really enjoyed the drama of the situation if Rocky just said, look, you know how I don't talk so good, and you know how I can't think real fast. I didn't used to be that way until I did all this fighting. And you, you're good. You're smart. You can do stuff. Don't be like me. You know, I would have yeah. liked a little bit more of like him having to admit all the uh, cognitive dysfunction he has because of his boxing and just saying, come on, you don't want to be like me. Your dad always had quick, good words. Stay like your dad. Don't don't box as long as I did. Yeah. I mean, it's just like I said, it, it's a it's a decent movie, but it really could have been a bigger and better movie. Stallone has said that he's kind of stepping down from these, which I think is a good thing. Ultimately, I they probably won't, and they'll probably continue to keep giving us the same damn movie. But do, do you I think Stallone will be three. okay financially if he doesn't make any more of these? I think he'll be fine. <laughs> He'll be fine. Like, look, he got a producer credit on this. He got a writing credit on this. He got a star. He got a star credit on this. Uh, this movie alone. I, listen, I don't know Sylvester Stallone's financials, but uh, I say this movie alone, he's 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 doing just okay. He's gonna have to tighten up his belt and cut back to only thirty Lamborghinis if he quits yeah, making rocket exactly. movies. Exactly. I gotta I gotta take one of the. I gotta fly a G two now. Ugh. Gross. Just disgusting. <laughs> Not going to do it. All right, speaking of gross and disgusting, let's hit up our third trailer here for Robin Hood 2018. If it decides to load. You're not Robin of Loxley anymore. You're Robin Hood. You were a lord, but now you get to be a thief. And I'm going to show you how. Shoot me. Please. You have to be a warrior. Fast as you can. Faster. Uh, what are you doing to my coat? Okay. When do I actually get to, you know, steal? Treasury itself. Set up a meeting. Everyone is with us. This is our shot. Here's the plan. This is an inside job. You are a lord. Get close with the sheriff. Who do you think the thief is? Clearly, he's well trained. Adaptable under fire. 
You'll get him eventually. Our plan is working. Now we see who bites. Oh! I'll remind them they're not the people, they're my subjects. This is suicide. Can't you see what you're doing? You inspire the people. Suspects now. If we get caught, they will kill us all. Really inspiring. Thanks. You're not Robin of Loxley anymore. You're Robin Hood. All right, that was the trailer for Robin Hood 2018, our last new release review of the week. IMDb plotline, a war-hardened crusader and his Moorish commander mount an audacious revolt against the corrupt English crown in a thrilling action adventure packed with gritty battlefield exploits, mind-blowing choreography, and a timeless romance. That was written by Anonymous. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly a fan, Anonymous. Clearly a fan of this thing. Uh, Bruce, before we had uh, decided that you would you would come on this episode and everything, you you saw this movie before I did and said that this was one that you wanted to talk about. Uh, pray tell. Well, I'll start off by saying that I've always loved the character of Robin Hood, like big time. Robin Hood's one of those characters I love, and I don't know why. Um, I've seen, maybe it all starts with the Disney animated Robin that Hood. That was my boxes. favorite growing up. So and, good. I loved it. And, you know, I saw the Earl Flynn Robin Hood movie uh, on, on like, Sunday morning television on TBS or something like that many mm-hmm. times as a kid. I would never turn the channel past uh, the Earl Flynn Robin Hood when it was on. I uh, saw the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. You know, I drove to the mall and watched that uh, all by myself on my own cognition. Nobody would go with me. I saw <laughs> Everyone Robin else Hood. knew better. <laughs> I was like, no, I no. saw Robin Hood Men in Tights at the drive-in. I went to Stonecrest and watched the Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie. And then I saw this Robin Hood on opening weekend because I really like Robin Hood. And even... Even the lesser Robin Hood movies I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed every one of those movies I listed yeah. in different ways. And some I enjoyed a lot. You know, like the Kevin Costner movie, I was crazy about it when it came out. And then later I realized, well, you can't really admit to people that you like that. Like, that's not a good movie. <laughs> that's shit. But, it, but, but I enjoyed it. So, you know, it is what it is. Now I'm secure enough in who I am to go ahead and say, you know what? I loved that movie at the time, even though I don't go revisit it. I liked the Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie, but it was like this one. It just withered on the vine. Nobody liked it or hated it. They just didn't go see it. Yeah, it was one of those things. It's like when that trailer came out and they're like, we're doing another Robin Hood. It's I really start scratching my head going, who's asking for this? And I think it's a lot of these things these days where it's just like, oh, this is a public domain story. That's what we're going to do. Robin Hood and King Arthur, man, those... Those are uh, characters that need to have a movie made for every generation. You know, probably every 20 years you need another King Arthur and another Robin Hood movie. And we got, what, King Arthur last year and Robin Hood this year, something like that? I thought the King Arthur thing was coming along this year. Uh, I'm talking about the one that had uh, uh, Charlie Hunnam in it. Oh, yeah, no one saw that. The, the Guy Ritchie one, which wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, even though I think it stole some elements from Dragon and the Needles, but that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> that's a discussion that uh, we can't talk about right now because it's under litigation. <laughs> clearly, man, clearly somebody thought that this was going to be something, 
Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is one of the producers. Oh, is that right? Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio produced this for some reason. Uh, the director, Otto Bathurst, Bathurst, I don't Bathurst. know how you pronounce his name, yeah. but he's from Peaky Blinders, which is a, a a critically acclaimed British show. I don't know if it's got like a huge audience, but I, th- I think that everybody who's seen it says it's well made. Yeah, uh, the, the I think cast. he also did. Uh, I think he also did the. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think he did. He did the Black Mirror episode where the guy is it. Yes, did he, do he the did one do that with one. the with the pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very nice. An interest, an interesting choice of director for a movie like this, because uh, Peaky Blinders is also a little offbeat uh, to a degree. Uh, you look at the cast, man. I'm not going to say that these are the biggest stars in Hollywood, but they're not working for scale. You know, you've got Taron Edgerton, who is on his way to being huge, Mm -hmm. if he's not already considered huge. You've got Jamie Foxx. Guy's won an Oscar. And uh, once again, he's not working cheap. He may not be the most expensive guy you can get, but he's not working cheap. Ben Mendelsohn coming off a great, you know, a great role in one of the Star Wars movies that we saw not too long ago. Yeah, he's been kind of like he's just been climbing that ladder every little bit. Like he's always he's he's been almost wonderful. That guy kind of looks like Dustin Hoffman, too. Hey, that guy's actually really good. And and then Jamie Dornan, who like it or not, he's uh, uh, making money. You know, he's making money as Christian Grey. Yeah. So uh, this is a cast, and then then for some reason Bono's daughter is in this, which I don't understand. That is, has she acted before? I mean, is she like an actress? I don't know anything. Oh, about was Bono's that daughter. was that his love interest? Made Marion. Yeah. Now let me let me fact check because that would be embarrassing if she wasn't Bono's daughter. Yeah, her her parents are Allie Hewson and Bono. Huh. So she's Bono's daughter, and here's what's weird to me too. And I don't know where she grew up. Bono is a citizen of the world. He's not just simply Irish. But her accent was weird, man. It, like it was more American than than British. Yeah, and here's the thing, like, and sometimes the little Irish something or other would pop in, but at no point was like like I almost thought is she on purpose trying to do what Kevin Costner did? <laughs> That'd be amazing if she was. It just goes, this is my ode to ode to Costner. <laughs> I here's the thing though, like this is you know, listen, I I know I'm no prize over here, but you know I got to talk about it from a from a someone who's reviewing movies perspective. Yeah, I I I don't find her wildly attractive. I'm like she's not ugly, mind you. I think she works for a Maid Marian. Like something about Maid Marian is she needs to seem like a, of the people like she doesn't you don't want uh, you know once again i love the characters i love the show you don't want maid marion to be uh maybe classic fairy tale beauty i want her to be somebody that that um is a little bit more down to earth having said that yeah. i think uh eve hewson is gorgeous i mean you know come on what are we gonna say she's uh, she's a beautiful lady man uh, to each his own i guess to what they think about <laughs> that sort of thing maybe it's a but, you know line. like know. like even somebody who looks like an average person on the screen you meet that actor or actress in real life and my goodness they're like inhumanly beautiful you know what i mean oh it, yeah oh for sure exactly i'm sure that like it just may be this because this is the only thing i'm really re- remembering her from and it just may be how she's done up in these flicks and ever, this flick and everything but um you know yeah you've had i've definitely had those where you meet somebody and just like oh that's and that's why this this is why i decide not to make sure that i go for the most beautiful person bruce because like there's there's been a that's a rule i've got and i just and it's it's mine i i enforce that rule i could okay. but i enforce the rule just to make sure just for my own sake 
because there are some people you ever look at those people you see them like these celebrities and stuff online and or wherever and you're just like I don't even know that I would be know how to possibly react like if Margot Robbie said you know oh I'd like to go out with you I'm like I don't even think that this could like as much as that would be a dream come true I think it would be the most stressful thing on the planet I'd be like here's what I would say to Margot Robbie what's why is this something is wrong (laughs) to Margot Robbie I would say I'll consider it but only if you go as Tanya Harding because I feel like you're closer to my league when you're Tanya Harding that's true like exactly (laughs) when it comes down to that you're just like now that looks like a girl I might be able to get with (laughs) this trailer trash Taron Edgerton can be an action star. I mean, there's no question, mm-hmm. but he, he he's also a serious, uh, good actor. I loved him in Eddie the Eagle. I'm looking forward to this Liberace thing coming up. Well, Elton but, John, but okay. I'm sorry, Elton John. Wow. Liberace was the uh, uh, Matt Damon. They're both, they're both flamboyant men who played <laughs> pianos. So, uh, you know, I'm not so good on the banjo myself, but anyway, um, Casting him, I think, is great. I think he's a good person to pick as Robin Hood. He showed us what he can do in Kingsman with action and with physical action. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Foxx, man, his character, you know, I didn't realize he was going to be Little John. In fact, I'm probably pretty deep in the movie before I realized, oh, this is Little John. Yeah, it took a little bit because you're, you're kind of trying to decode because while it's very much a Robin Hood tale, it's not the traditional Robin Hood tale. It is kind of a, a, a newish the- take on it. To confuse things a little bit more, I'm thinking, oh, wow, the you know this uh, these filmmakers must have been a fan of the Kevin Costner movie because I kind of thought that uh, Jamie Foxx was um, Morgan Freeman's character, yeah. which is not a classic character from Robin Hood lore. Uh, and then I thought, wow, they must be paying some rights, or maybe this is the same production company. I don't know, but it's interesting that they're bringing that character back, trying to make him part of the lore. And then later, when I realize it's Little John, it all kind of clicks into place. But at the same time, they're trying to maybe give us a uh, uh, Little John while still capturing maybe the oddball like me who really liked Morgan Freeman's character too, because <laughs> there's never really been a more that was part of the uh, Robin Hood mythos that I'm aware of until that Kevin Costner film. Yeah, I thought it was really cool, and I like how they give him, like, you know, they chop off the hand and stuff, so he kind of has this old, you know, uh, irascible teacher kind of moment and everything. Yeah, and and if they hadn't chopped off his hand, we wouldn't need Robin Hood, because he would be the one doing all this. Exactly, he'd just be like, well, I'll I'll just go and do it. I got two working hands here. I'm, you know, pretty darn capable, but eh, choppy, choppy. (laughs) Now, I liked... um, I like Ben Mendelsohn as the sheriff of Nottingham because I like Ben Mendelsohn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something that this movie did that, like, I felt like they were going to go for something and they backed off from it. And then, you know, you can't halfway do a bit. You have to either go all in on the bit or you have to drop the bit. And they did this thing where they've got, like, modern tailored clothing in this uh, Middle Ages story. Right. And it shows off the most with the way Sheriff of Nottingham, Ben Mendelsohn, is dressed. And I thought, well, you know, they went all in. And an example where they did a good job of this sort of thing is A Knight's Tale, where A Knight's Tale had a lot of modern elements, but they just leaned into it. And you had the crowd at the joust actually stomping on the bleachers doing the uh, We Will Rock You Queen thing. They put a Nike emblem on his armor, for heaven's sake. Here it's like they were going to lean into doing that sort of modern thing, but then they didn't lean into it enough, but you've still got these costumes that just don't make sense in this world without making it clear that they're going for some kind of like saying, hey, you know, this is like still going on today, this sort of 
it, yeah, thing it's, of a bomb. it's definitely like a weird alternate timeline that never really existed. I wouldn't, I, I don't know that anyone, you'd point to anyone and be like, oh, this is clearly like an analog for this particular time. This is uh, a, a time and a place with which did not actually exist. And a Robin Hood story that mentions the Crusades, but doesn't, I don't think they ever mention Richard, King Richard, Richard the Lionhearted. And I don't think they mentioned Prince Philip at all. So that was kind of weird to me. Hmm. And Will Scarlet is the character who I disapprove of as, as a Robin Hood fan, as a guy who loves everything Robin Hood. And, you know, of course, uh, a lot of listeners are going to know Will Scarlet as Christian Slater's character from the Kevin Costner movie. But Will Scarlet has a long, uh, you know, he's been around in Robin Hood lore as long as almost as long as Robin Hood lore has been around and he's never ever made the heel turn to become the sheriff of Nottingham at the end like like he does here I mean I thought it was certainly an interesting twist in everything and I I like here okay I'm going to go out I'm going to god damn it I'm throwing stuff all over the place <laughs> I'm going to say this I, I actually like this movie I enjoyed the action it's it's lunacy it's a bad movie but I think the the most recent comparison is uh, on Hero Movie Podcast, we talked about Venom. And we said, you know, the truth is Venom is a terrible movie and we should hate this movie. But we actually really enjoyed it. And this is one of those things. This is a, a bad movie. doesn't really have anything to say. It doesn't accomplish what I think maybe it was setting out to accomplish. But I love the action. I love the characters with the exception of I don't. You know, I didn't really like the performance of Maid Marian. Like, if they recast her or she fell out or something, I wouldn't miss her. Yeah. But I like this. I like this Robin Hood. And I don't mean like I like it um, uh, four stars, five stars, needs to be a billion-dollar box office kind of thing. But I would love to go back and see another story in this world. But they set up, like, a lot of neat things. Like you said, the way the action was done where, like, now bows are a lot more like guns. You know, we basically have, like, kind of crossbows and yeah, repeater things. I, 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 I think that was kind of that cool. a little too much in the Crusades when they're making it basically look like Afghanistan or Iraq and the, the bow is suddenly like a machine gun. That's When the bow hits, it doesn't just hit the stone. I mean, it's making, like, a bullet-sounding crash to it. They, they even have them dressed... Uh, they have them dressed in this uh, little bit of a chest guard body armor with their sleeves rolled up and the colors really even make it look like suddenly we're watching American Sniper or something when they're in the Crusades. Yeah, I mean, like, like it, I liked it a lot. I told people this. Um, this movie feels like it was made 20 years ago, but they released it today. Yeah. What I mean by that is really this feels like an awesome Simpson Bruckheimer Robin Hood. It's crazy, it's over the top. It is it's super it's super 90s in a lot of ways even though we have these actors that we know that are current, you know, actors now. Taron Edgerton was probably 15, you know, 20 yeah. years ago, <laughs> right? Probably five twenty years. Yeah, ago. you're right. He's probably not, not even. That, he's probably not even that old, and uh, still more handsome than me, even at five <laughs> years old. But also, I feel like, and this is a weird thing, but you know, sometimes a little thing goes a long way. I think the title. I think if it had a colon and then something after the colon, like Robin Hood, um, Birth of a Legend, Robin Hood, uh, Arrows Fly Straight. I don't think it even matters what it what you put after the colon, but I felt like yeah. this is a movie that needed more of a name than just Robin Hood. Yeah, the Robin Hood, it's just like, th at that point, you're really not selling it. And again, it's one of those, 
everyone's just going to go, well, I know what that is. Why would I go see something that I know what it is? But you're right. If it was like Robin Hood, A New Beginning, or Robin Hood uh, Chapter One. <laughs> yeah, Robin Hood Battle for Love. I, I don't care what you call it. Exactly, but, but have some sort of something. weird Like King subtitle. Arthur was Legend of the Sword. King Arthur colon Legend of the Sword. If they just called that King Arthur, I don't think it would have done as well, and it didn't do great anyway. But this really feels like a movie that needed a colon and probably needed the budget trimmed by about 30 million bucks. Yeah, uh, but I think I think you're right. I would never go so far as to call this a great movie, uh, but it is a fun time. It's a fun time. It's it's goofy. It's over the top as as well. It kind of should be, but I can't believe I had as much fun in this thing as I as I, as I did. I really thought I was in for like a real bummer of a flick. And now I want to get to the heart of why I really wanted to talk about okay. this. Man, this is a really, really good Green Arrow movie. Ooh. Hmm. Yes, this is a really good Green Arrow movie. The melodrama, the goofiness, the it, it. This really feels like it could have been like a really high production value Berlanti project. Hmm. Especially uh, for people who've watched Green Arrow from the get go to where it's at now. And I know you haven't been like a a real heavy watcher of Green Arrow. Yeah. But I think part of why I like this is why I like Green Arrow. I mean, there's just some fun in the action. I like the 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 bow and arrow stuff's pretty ridiculous. But I'm watching this and thinking, you know, if Warner Brothers had produced this, slapped the name Green Arrow on it instead of Robin Hood, you don't even have to change much because it feels so modern already. You really could have made this. I mean, Oliver Queen is is the the rich guy who became the vigilante, sort of like Robin of Loxley yes. here. Mm. I mean, uh, I'm sitting here watching the 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 costumes, the way that they look. Um, yeah. Yeah, something about this, man, I really like this a lot because at times I was thinking, wow, man, Taron Edgerton would have been a good Green Arrow. And then considering the box office that this had, they probably could have shaved a good bit off their budget if they had made Stephen Amell play Robin Hood instead of Taron Edgerton. <laughs> we but, just freed up three extra million dollars. <laughs> But that, I think, is a lot of what I liked about it and why I wanted to talk about it uh, is that this makes a pretty darn good Green Arrow movie. Uh, and it even feels comic booky the way Will Scarlet goes from being a sort of associate to a friend who's wronged and disfigured a little bit, and now he's going to be the big villain. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it works out. It's it's very formulaic in that in that way, but in a good way. Like, it's not one that you just yeah, go, like, I wouldn't call oh, it this formulaic is gross, cause... but you, you, you get it. <laughs> I wouldn't call it formulaic, but formulaic is the right term. But it, it definitely has that um, gestalt, that that feeling of a comic book type story. And, uh, you know, we had some people write into us that maybe we should take a break from superheroes to cover an old school superhero like Robin Hood right not too long before this movie came out. And I yeah. had that mindset. But this is not a bad if you think of this as part of a franchise inspired by something which it is it's inspired it's part of the robin hood franchise in a way inspired by uh tales uh, of a fictional hero um it's actually not so bad man this this is right up there with movies it's better than jonah hex you know oh, it's, yeah. it's right up there with constantine and some of your middle of the road or to lesser comic book movies if you think of it in those terms, but somehow when you think of it as Robin Hood, then you start to think, well, this has to be literary. But when you think about Robin Hood for what he is, man, he's a comic book character from before comic books were around. This movie's about right. 
You're you're not wrong. He is. That's I never really. I guess I never really thought about it that way. But you're absolutely correct. Robin Hood was a comic book character before comic books were a thing. That's. Mm. I think we may have. I think we may have a comic book connection there <laughs> to where we could actually do one of the, one of yeah. these flicks if we and, wanted to. Because frankly, and, it it lines up. I like it. And instead of going into this movie thinking this is an ad- adaptation of a folk hero and, it, and a character of literature and stuff, if you go into this thinking a comic book movie based on a character who's not Marvel or DC, kind of like your Spawn level expectations. Mm-hmm. Not a bad movie. No, nah, you'd you'd probably like it. If honest to goodness, I think if this were was an HMP review and everything, it probably I think we all would have said it's decent. It would have at least gotten, you know, Damian, Damian Wayne Wayne's at the very least. At the, at the least because they because it's just it's just fun. It's fun enough for what it is. If you don't take it too seriously and just think like, "Oh, this is going to be highbrow," cuz it's not. But then again, what ones and, of them are? And, and, you know, maybe some people were expecting like Game of Thrones type stuff. You know, Game of Thrones is a, is a yeah. very good property. And any time that fantasy comes out now, whether it's the King Arthur movie or I would say even the Robin Hood movie, people kind of want a Game of Thrones feel. And what you're getting here is a Green Arrow feel instead. Yeah. But I did like you're that. You're like, uh, what guy if Michael that, Bay did Game of Thrones? <laughs> and and I did like that guy that played Friar Tuck, too. I don't know much about the actor Tim mentioned, but I think he could be a, a good little character actor in a lot of stuff. I hope he gets more opportunities. Yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah, I, it, no one's going to go see it. It's got a Metascore critic of 32. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, nobody's going to – no one's seeing this film. But if you if you check it out on Netflix or something, you, you can find a worse ways to spend a, you know, rainy, sunny afternoon – or rainy, rainy – Sunday afternoon. That's the words I was looking for. Uh, well, that's it, everybody. We're done. A little extra long show this week, but, uh, you know, me and Bruce get out, got on tangents, and we just keep going, man. We just don't know how to stop ourselves. Uh, speaking of not stopping, where could they not stop and where could they stop along the way and find you on the Internet? Ooh, almost had it. Perfect. <laughs> they could check me out at Hero Movie Podcast. Hero Movie Podcast. Every week we review the greatest uh, comic book and superhero movie stuff discussion in the multiverse. Amen. Amen to that. And of course, uh, you know, thank you guys for for dealing with this. I've I've had some uh, I've been really bummed the last couple of weeks, <laughs> so I just haven't been doing a show. But I've got more ideas for new things to come out and uh, new new avenues for this podcast to go down because uh, I, I love having people like Bruce here. I, it's tough for me to do things by myself, and I know it's not the most entertaining thing in the world, but I've got some solutions to that. What will those solutions be? You'll just have to stay tuned, everybody. So that is it. Join us next week. We're talking more movies and more other kind of crap. Uh, for Bruce Leslie, I'm Adam Portress. See you guys next week. Everybody has got a body.